imagine you have 1000 protocols, each of which want $1 million security. You could have separate $1 million pools for each of these protocols, or you aggregate all of them and have one single $1 billion pool that's restaked into all these thousand protocols. The second world is much better because to attack any one protocol, the cost of attack has shifted from I need majority of 1 million to now I need a majority of 1 billion. So suddenly, like, this is what we call the hardening of security. Right? All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. Goldman, JP Morgan, 0.72, all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the homepage and use Bell20 for 20% off. I will see you in sunny London town in March. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve Before before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now, let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Today, uh, joined by my co-host, Miles O'Neill, Reverie. Um, we are talking to Zachy Manian of Smellier and Sri Ram Khan of Eigenlayer. Guys, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, my pleasure to be here. It's awesome to be here. We are we're excited, guys. This is going to be sort of a fun throwback, actually, to a couple of past seasons of Bell Curve. One where we talked about um, the Cosmos app chain thesis, and then one on liquid staking, where we had a great episode with Sri Ram on restaking, which I would highly recommend everyone go back and listen to. But uh, today, we're going to sort of build on the foundation that we laid in previous seasons and talk about this merging of the Cosmos and the Ethereum roadmap and underscore the critical role that Eigenlayer is playing there through restaking. But you know, before we before we get to that, um, maybe uh, Zaki or Sriram, I mean, could, could you kind of tee up uh, for folks who might not have heard the past season, like, and it's probably in popular discourse now, but how are the, uh, from a high level, the roadmaps of Cosmos and Ethereum kind of aligning I can I dig into it, which is so. There have been like a, a couple of things. So Cosmos originally started out as you know this general purpose staking platform. Anyone can spin up a proof of stake blockchain. We had this initial version of the staking module, and you know there's like something like eighty something chains that are using it, um, and so that popped up lots of staking tokens. Um, Ethereum starts out Ethereum is the shared security platform. Um, so, you know, the governance token, like the tokenomic layers live directly on it. They don't have to provide their own security. ETH provides the security. Uh, so, you know, this is the two versions of this world, right? Most Cosmos tokens are their own, emit their own security. ETH, most ETH tokens rely on Ethereum security. Where are we going? How are these things converging? So it's like a bunch of things happened along the way. Um, uh, Stunny and Dave, um, came up with this idea of mesh security um, probably two years ago, I think, at this point. Um, and Sonny and Dave like originated this idea of mesh security, which is that Cosmos chains should buy security at the same time. Um, Shri Ram came up with uh, Eigenware and this idea of uh, renting out security, of like being able to, a marketplace for, for security from Ethereum. Well, obviously these things are remixes of similar ideas. Um, and then since then, we've had 
uh, the release of platforms like Ethos, um, which is, you know, uh, now a publicly launched project, but it's the idea of mesh security where the origin of mesh security is bought for Cosmos is bought from, uh, an eigenware ABS, um, uh, an eigenware security from, from, from ETH validators. Um, and this is just like a very exciting thing. And, you know, now we can finally hybridize these security models and compose them together in a way that's exciting. And I think leads to a lot of new innovations and in terms of just market position. Yeah. So, so to sum up there, it, yeah, I think the, the irony of, uh, Ethan Cosmos and why they're such a perfect fit today um, is it's almost like we're converging on this idea of a shared security layer, which supports this network of highly interoperable chains, some of which are app specific and some of which are, are more general. We just started from different points, right? Cosmos kind of started with that vision and they figured out inter interoperabilities and app chain or interoperability and app chains and Ethereum. And now they're kind of trying to figure out, well, how do I figure out uh, things like data availability and shared security? Hence the, the mesh security, Zaki, that you just mentioned. Ethereum started from the opposite point. They built extremely secure block space. And now they're sort of midway through this journey of actually building out their own set of rollups, which looks a lot like Cosmos. So we kind of are converging on the same um, same end state, just from different starting points. And Zaki, you were starting to get into this kind of like this match made in heaven of like the, the role that restaking plays here. So Sriram, maybe I could just um, ask you to maybe underline again uh, and just make uh, clear for the audience, like the role that restaking plays here. And then we're going to hop into sort of the value proposition, uh, both from the Cosmos sort of demand AVS side of things, why it might make sense for Cosmos chains to rent security from Ethereum um, and then vice versa. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so the underlying premise of Eigenlayer is that, you know, people can stake their ETH in the Ethereum platform and then simultaneously, you know, and when they're staking their ETH in the Ethereum platform, they're making a promise that they're following the Ethereum platform rules correctly and they restake or basically make additional promises with the same ETH that, hey, I will also validate these new protocols correctly. And when they do that, uh, so Eigenlayer provides semantics for actually expressing these conditions. And now anybody who wants to build these new networks can come and create these, we call them AVSs, actively validated services, but think of them as chains or modules or like SaaS services, but they want to be decentralized. Right? So that's the, um, that's the other side. And builders who want to launch new services, but don't necessarily have their own token or don't want to use their own token, at least not want to use their own token exclusively to secure the network can actually use this system to borrow security. So that's the two sides. So we can, you know, diving in a little bit granularly, we have stakers, people who stake. We have node operators, people who run computational infrastructure for the stakers. They, those could be the same or the front. And then we have people who create these servos, right? And then people who consume the services. That's the different sides of this marketplace overall. And maybe I think for the rest of the conversation, like we now have kind of laid out how these two roadmaps are converging. We've laid out how, you know, Eigenlayer can maybe be the bridge between the two ecosystems. Um, and through Eigenlayer, uh, I would say E3 staking can help Cosmos chains. And through Eigenlayer, Cosmos chains can actually help Ethereum by providing services that couldn't be built on ETH directly. Um, so maybe just to start from the side of Cosmos, um, and Zaki, you're 
probably the perfect person to to speak to as somebody who has launched the Cosmos chain without Eigenlayer uh, as an option to bootstrap security. Um, what is the value prop for you? And maybe just to frame this, imagine if you were starting Somalia today um, and you had the choice of going the the normal uh, bootstrapping route of a Cosmos chain, which is basically to convince enough people to buy your token and stake it to get up to a certain market cap that is economically secure um, to the point where people are comfortable using your product um, versus what you know you could have done uh, if Eigenlayer was an option or Eigenlayer via ethos was an option um, you know at the inception of Somalia. So I guess there's been a couple of pieces, you know, I, I would take this back to the original Adam go to market, um, where we were launching a token. Uh, we, you know, it was like me, Jay, Ethan, Sonny, Jack, um, this whole group of people coming together and, you know, building demand liquidity, all of this stuff for a new asset that, you know, has, you know, um, been consistently in the top. Um, but it was all, it was an enormous amount of work, you know, and you were, you were, you were writing this way. So, um, the co-founder of Sennelier, Christy Shu, who I worked on at Declusion and worked on with, on, uh, with, on Sennelier, really questioned when we start, we decided to do Sennelier, could we make, could we do something like that, you know? And like so many Cosmos chains, they just defaulted to like, basically trying to like rerun the Adam story, Right. And I think for both Christy and myself, it was like immediately clear. It was like, we cannot, like, it's not a long-term sustainable project. Like maybe like if we had done, we just like opened up out of the gate with like inflationary token standard staking. Yes. The token would have done extremely well in 2020, uh, uh, in 2021 and 2022. Um, and if we had, and then like the story had been, and then like we continued that story, the took like our struggles in 23 would have been 22 and 23 would have been even worse. So instead, Christy really like focused on, let's say, let's question the whole orthodoxy. So no, like fixed token supply, put a bunch of tokens in the community pool that could be used for paying staking rewards, but don't, you know, come out with it. And then for the entire bull market, we had no staking rewards on Zon. Um, uh, most of the investors were locked up. Uh, it didn't. Uh, it didn't make any sense. Uh, why? Why spend anything on security? Uh, most of our security comes from Ethereum, anyways. Um, uh, the way it works. And then we've all. Then we've also had this struggle, which was, who you buy security from is part of your franchise, part of how you distribute, how you how you build your brand. And we wanted to build a brand for Ethereum users. Um, we we thought the best product for Sommelier would be a, an Ethereum product, um, and that's the product we built. And Christy and I have grown that product from you know to sixty. And Christy, I, the whole team, really have grown this product to sixty-five million uh, TBL um, in the bear market, fastest-growing yield product in the bear market, um, and you know testament to the whole technology. But Having the whole product then be like trying to like Cosmos people, uh, Cosmos stakers trading on Osmosis. It's like there's this whole dichotomy that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's a and it's a huge. There's, it's, a, it's been a huge tax on, I'd say, the project and its, and its success. That like we had a token that was like being distributed to this like whole different audience. Huge struggle. So these are like the things that were 
our pain points. And then, you know, beginning in 23, there was a governance vote to, to, to allocate some of the community pool, uh, 10 million tokens uh, to paying for security resulted in like, you know, roughly a 10% APY. Um, and that was painful for us too, because we, we, there's a, there's a finite life for this. Like there's only a finite number of tokens in the community pool. Um, we need to grow fees to be able to like justify it. But then you also have to pay a pretty high premium to get people, um, to stake some. Um, and it's been, and so, you know, when ethos came out, um, and, uh, you know, ethos was incubated at polychain, which is one of our investors. Um, we're very close to the polychain team. Um, they were incubating this idea. They were like, what if we do something like this? And we were like, familiar would love to be the like first user first now, because it's like solves all of our problems or like not all of our problems, but it solves a, like a, pro- a set of problems with security that we've really struggled with, which is. How do we reduce the premium we're paying for people to walk up capital to secure the network? Um, and, and how do we have more like control and discretion over that? How do we align more closely the people who are getting some tokens with the users of the product? And we are one of the biggest players in liquid staking liquidity through the protocol. And it's weird that we're not uh, distributing the token to each stakers. Uh, and so there's this huge opportunity. So it's been very, 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 very exciting to see all of these things coming to fruition and Christy and I are super excited about 2024 and, and, uh, sommelier ethos integration, integration. So just to sum that up, most Cosmos chains today, if not all basically, uh, launch with an emission schedule and an emissions rate that goes to stakers that they believe, you know, makes, uh, it attractive enough to stake to buy and then stake this asset up to a certain ratio, a pretty arbitrary ratio, right? Uh, that's kind of 66% today. Nobody really knows where that number came from or what the right number is. Um, and, you know, you are, there's, you know, a capital, a cost of capital, right? That they have to, you know, it's an opportunity cost. They could be holding other assets. Um, and now you have a, an opportunity basically to, you know, tap into uh, a pool of capital that is already earning yield. Right. Um, and so it's real. it's really a, a, the marginal cost to go secure another, you know, chain is, is so much lower. Um, and I guess, how are you thinking through, I guess, what the economics and, and what security levels are you're targeting at this point? Um, because now I think it's really interesting. We can kind of, uh, you know, pay for security at cost, right? It becomes more of, I would say a variable uh, cost line item on the PNL rather than some you know fixed emissions rate that was set by governance at one point and then periodically like changed right and so I guess tactically how are you thinking about you know the the details of um, and I guess the uh, economics of 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 getting security through uh, Eigenlayer via Ethos. So. I just like want to make like one one of one of the things that I make I think is the most exciting. So I guess for me when I first heard about uh, Eigenware from Shuram, I thought I, the supply side always made sense. Like, why would eat stakers want to do this? It's the demand side that Christy and I have really dug through on sommelier side that also makes it like so clear, which is. It is simply expensive to get people to hold and stake and walk up for 28 days an illiquid asset. Like, 
you know, there's like a couple of hundred thousand dollars of, of liquidity on the SOM token on DEXs, um, you know, and like we have tens of millions of dollars of SOM locked up in staking. If somebody wants to exit, it's like, where did they exit to? Right. And so you have to like really pay them to like be like, hey, um, or they have to have like extremely high time preference, which I think we're lucky to have some long term holders in the ecosystem that are very high time preference, but um, who are willing to hold for a long time um, as liquidity develops. But regardless, it's, this is just an expensive proposition. Um, and the demand side is really driven by the fact that asking people to hold liquid assets and then earn illiquid assets incrementally is just so you know i imagine that like for the same amount of emissions that like let's say are getting 25 percent of some uh currently staked we could and like that is you know 20 30 million dollars of of economic security um we could have we could double that economic security if we were allocating towards um eigenware and i think a lot of our stakers probably wouldn't unstake if even if we cut the emissions by like twenty five percent. And in that sense, it doesn't you know you still have the ability to have a governance token that retains the you know lion's share of the economics. You still have the ability if you're uh, you know if there's activity happening directly on your chain to retain economics through like MEV, right? Um, and then it's just a question of whether you pay those restakers in like real revenue that is coming through your protocol or if you want to you know just redirect the emissions from the treasury or from the schedule to these yeah stakers. the other thing that's not so sommelier has a real revenue mechanism which is um uh, fees from the vaults go back to the protocol there's about a hundred thousand dollars of fees that were earned over the um uh course of 2023 uh and it's been like sort of it grows linearly with TVL. Um, and uh, so we have this real revenue model. But if you actually are, can be like explicit about how you target security, then you actually can like kind of tick that item off your PL and then whatever is remains can go back to the SOM stakers, right? Rather than this sort of wishy washy, hazy thing today of, okay, we're just going to like shovel all of the revenue back into into staking security some of it will go back some of it will go to some stakers some of it will go to the uh, uh some of it will go to uh the like some of it will be for security some of it like everything is just bucketed together and like you can do things then without like would be which would i think will be exciting and cool in the cosmos ecosystem and very inspired by things you can do in the ETH ecosystem when your token isn't also securing the network which is like hey like you know what if we like lock up for like like give you people a larger percent of revenue if you lock up the token for 10 years, right? Then you can like potentially take large chunks of liquidity off the market. Doesn't work as well when you're like trying to hype, like select validators, do governance, emit rewards all into the same model. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I've noticed that when your token is also an L1 staking token, you lose a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, it's it's kind of there's so much packed under the scope of governance. There's so much packed, you know, and so many different types of stakeholders in the network. Right. Um, and so now it ends up, you, you more have like the PNL of, of an Ethereum DAP, right. Rather than a, rather than an L1. Um, and yeah, Sriram, anything you would want to add there that, that maybe we missed from the perspective of uh, yeah. other AVSs? Yeah, for sure. I think 
you know, examining why shared security makes sense. Maybe like I could spend five minutes explaining this, the set of phenomena that actually make shared security less expensive. The first one is the power of pooling, right? Imagine you have 1,000 protocols, each of which want $1 million security. You could have separate $1 million pools for each of these protocols, or you aggregate all of them and have one single $1 billion pool that's restaked into all these 1,000 protocols. This second world is much better because to attack any one protocol, the cost of attack has shifted from I need majority of 1 million to now I need a majority of 1 billion. So suddenly, like this is what we call the hardening of security. Right? Security has a scale and, you know, when you're on small scale, it's easier to attack. When you're on larger scale, it becomes more difficult to attack. So there is, it's kind of why, like, you know, we have security at the level of nation states rather than at the level of cities. I was just going to, I was literally going to make that exact same analogy because some of this sometimes seems a little bit esoteric, uh, but I, I think there, like, you could actually look in many different other, like, human organizations and see a very similar sort of need and design pattern form. I was actually going to usually literally use the example of nation states and they Perfect. Uh, that's pool security. So that already has some benefit. But what you're losing in polling is attribution. You could say, oh, I have my separate 1 million. And, but it's separate. It's unique. It's for me. Like I know if, if something goes wrong, I can redistribute it. I can do whatever set of things I want with it. But this billion dollar pool, you're kind of like mixing in everything. So we bring in this new feature we call attributable security, which is I have this $1 billion pool, it's restricted among 1,000 protocols, but maybe one of them is a bridge that's doing, you know, $30 million daily volume. So it wants to say that if this bridge got attacked because of eigenlayer, validator, malicious behavior, they can actually get a redistribution of more than 30 million. So what this protocol can come and tell eigenlayer is, I want 30 million of attributable security. I have 1 billion of pool security, but out of this, when it's slashed, you know, we had this problem when you have like a pool protocol and you're slashing who gets priority, right? Instead, you convert that into an economic problem where you say, yeah, whoever pays for it. And they get priority based on how much they've bought attributable security from eigenlayer. So you can be a, like a familiar world and it's doing like, Deletes adding on like let's say a couple million dollars that you want to say yeah you know and if there's an attack it's going to take me like a couple of days to detect so I'm going to have like ten million dollars of security specifically attributable and you have to pay the capital cost proportional to that rather than to this like entire like pool you're getting pool security while getting attributable security so that is it's a complex protocol function to make sure that. The protocol is always solvent and is able to honor all the attributions because it is possible that all the stakers collude and attack all the protocols simultaneously. Even then, the attribution should be honored. So that's a very powerful new protocol primitive we're building into Eigenlayer. It has both pool security and attributable security. Zaki, do you want to say something? And I have another two things to add. All I will say is I think this has like been... Eigenware is a really critical missing piece and sort of look at the tools that are available to builders on Ethereum, right? Historically, you've had, okay, I can pay Ethereum for data availability. I can pay, Ethereum can evaluate my validity and fraud proofs. Um, It can provide bridging contracts um, into what I 
what I've been building, it can, and then you can, you can have arbitrary business logic embedded on it. But what I can't buy from Ethereum is a committee that is economically secure. There's no marketplace for it, right? The validators are out there, it, like, but like, there's a, there's a missing marketplace. There's a missing uh, showing point. There's a missing place to buy and sell this. Um, and so, you know, the other thing that you've seen is like, we've seen these various abort efforts that have had existed where people have tried to glue Cosmos tech onto Ethereum. And like the OG of that is Polygon. Polygon had this like commit chain where they have a validator set that is like staked in their native token, but staking happens on Ethereum. And then it like talks to a Cosmos chain and it's like a giant Rube Goldberg machine, right? And like, um, and then like, you know, just, you know, so like that has existed, but like no one looks at that and is like, I would, no builders, like I would love to inherit this insanity. Like that, everyone's like, would look, you know, probably done included is like, we would like to get rid of this. this is um, but like you bring Eigenlayer into the picture and it's like all these things that people have tried to use Cosmos Tech for, like Shutter and encrypted mempools, Fairbox encrypted mempools, fully homomorphic encryption, MPC. Like there's a lot of Cosmos Tech that's like floating around Ethereum today. But like all, there's no one place where you just go and like, here's your, where you get your validator set. Um, it's the hard part is uh, people always talk about securing a validator set is hard. It's not hard, like you're just, like their businesses, you send them an email, you get your validators. The hard part is coordination, economics, pricing, all of that stuff, like market. Um, and I think Eigenware is particularly exciting. Yeah, that's, I think, a really interesting way of putting it. Basically, building liquid markets for security, right? So you can just go buy like a validator set, go buy a staked uh, amount. Coming back to these different features of shared security. So I've talked about pool security as a feature, attributable security as a feature. And then the third one is economy of scale. Imagine, so this is one of the mental models for what we're expecting the demand side to be, what people will be building, is they're building services. These are not themselves necessarily consumer applications, but these are services that are used in consumer applications. And you know, if, for example, a, an application wants to use many of these features, let's say I want to use an Oracle, I want to use a bridge, I want to use a, you know, another like data availability service and all this stuff. Then if you had to take separate, you know, attributable security for each of this, you may have to pay, you know, let's say your app again has $10 million daily volume. So you go and say, I'm going to get, take $10 million insurance from the bridge. I have to take $10 million from the uh, DA and from each of these. Instead, if somebody has to bundle all these things and then build like a single like system and said, hey, here's a bridge come like data availability, come this, come that, like bundled, then the economics of that would be much more favorable because you just need to buy 1x the insurance from it. So there is a benefit to bundling, but we don't have anybody who knows all the things that need to get bundled because, you know, that's that's the thing. It's crypto is new and we don't know how to build the best bridge. We don't know how to build the best, each of these different things. Instead, what Idolator does is just allow shared security and free market building, but there's a post-facto bundling that's happening because the same stakers are opting into all these things and they can underwrite like security across all of these simultaneously. So this is a huge like transformation in the underlying security and economic structure of services built on top. 
So this is the third property we call economy of scale in insurance. So or economy of scale in attribution. So you, as you get more and more, as an application consumes many services, just needs to pay one x the premium rather than five x the premium. So that creates more, you know, value in having a shared common goal. Uh, Mike, did you want to say something? Has I want to bring a fourth feature before after that. Hit us with the fourth feature, Shriram. Hit us, yeah. Okay. So the fourth feature is what we call elastic scaling of security, which is buy as much security as you need rather than... So imagine, like, let's say um, Zaki wants to use uh, ETH staking for some earlier, but doesn't want to use Eigenware. So what he could say is, hey, you know, my deposits, daily deposit range is between you know, 1 million a year and 10 million a year. So I'm going to go provision for the worst case or the peak load. I go and buy 10 million worth of security just from each staking. Instead, if you come to Eigenlayer, you could buy exactly the amount that you want because, you know, there's a large pool waiting and each there are lots of services. Each service has different amounts of demand and you can kind of pool all of this and reduce variance. So this is exactly the same phenomenon that cloud was based on for computing. So Amazon's called Elastic Compute, right? This is Elastic Security. So you you have, you can fluct, each one has a fluctuating amount of demand for how much security that they want, and having a common layer basically means you can buffer these variations much better than if you were to go in separate pools. So these are all the properties which I think makes something like Eigenlayer and a common shared security system much more powerful than building each of these in separate pools. And hey, here's a pool for X, here's a pool for Y, here's a pool for Z. So that's that's our basic thesis on why we think shared security is much better. I will just say this is obviously better than the magical, like somehow our market cap and our, our market cap and our TVL and our like secured value are just somehow going to like keep moving together in like a kind of nice way. And like, it's, these things are you know, we're not going to end up with like, you know, a million dollars of tokens securing a billion dollars of value. Um, uh, like, you know, it's like the sort of wishy-washy uh, experience that we've had. Um, uh, and, you know, it's like the Cosmos Hub um, is sort of grappling with this because it's like, okay, like Cosmos Hub now has its own early version of restaking called Interchain Security where the Cosmos of Atom Validators are securing two other chains right now, Stride and Neutron, and hopefully soon, Noble, um, which is the USDC issuer, um, but, like, doesn't know how to how much to charge for this. Like, how expensive should this be? Like, has no idea. And then Atom holders are what? And then it's like, what should be the emission rate of atoms to target security? And, uh, you know, occlusion, uh, you know, Christy, me, Tony, Shella, you know, Obviously, we, we talked a lot about how Christy and I had thought about this on the on site. Um, we're like, okay, we should put out, we should test the waters with Prop 848 on reducing the emission rate of atoms and see whether or not there's what, what will happen. It was very controversial. It reduced the emission rates. Security seems to be unaffected um, uh, as one would anticipate. Um, and I think, you know, the general thesis that we should emit the fewest number of tokens to target the amount of security that we need is 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 a good answer um but what you know okay we 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 reduced the maximum emissions from 20 percent a year to 10 percent a year okay cool is that the right number who knows 
Um, so this is a continuous process of discovery, but like what Eigenlayer is doing is bootstrapping this from a completely different layer from a very wide range of stakeholders where there's a marketplace and you're just like, you can see like, okay, we emit, we emitted that much, that many tokens. How much security did we get? You go look at other comparables in the market. If there are a bunch of, of tokens that have similar liquidity to your token and you know, they're emitting and they're getting more security. Um, then you can be like, okay, like, well, maybe we should do it. And somebody can test the waters and go lower, emit fewer things. Do they lose security? You can, you can, we can actually like learn from this in a way that we're like currently not. I think from the demand side, this is like obviously better. And we haven't even talked about kind of the downside risk of staking, of having your own staking token with the, you know, some death spiral dynamic with like, there's a market event that caught you know, it's the price of your token. And now all of a sudden in your app is less security use like that. That's probably not a great thing for most, for most projects. Right. Um, and pooled security makes a lot of sense. Um, the bundling, the economies to scale makes a lot of sense. One thing I want to double click on just from, I guess, the perspective of how you're setting up the marketplace, um, Sri Ram and how you'd be thinking about the, I guess the, the details of, of your security setup, Zaki is this idea of attributable security and elastic security. Um, because from my seat with working with Osmosis, we're thinking through some of the early mesh security arrangements right now. And I've always asked the question of, okay, should we be paying the same for you know 10% from X chain, right? Of our security budget, if we're gonna pay, you know, 10% of our security budget to them, you know, should we should probably pay more if that hasn't been restaked anywhere else, we should probably pay less if that security could go away based off of a slashing event on some other chain, right? And in a perfect world, I think you'd want your amount of attributable security to be basically tied to some sort of logic in your protocol that is, say, looking at TVL, right? So on a day-to-day basis, Zaki, if, you know, Somalia's TVL moons, you don't actually have to have some new governance proposal that, you know, goes in and says, now we need to, you know, purchase more security, right? Um, so how do you like envision, you know, will, will service providers pop up to kind of intermediate and, and make all this like very easy to interact and, and I guess manage your security? Um, or are you actually building this, like these features into the marketplace? So maybe I'll, I'll start with a little bit of comment there, which is, you know, the the design around these markets just emerging. So, you know, we don't have a lot of details on the attributable security market yet in public. But the idea would be that you you should be able to set things which are semi-automatic where you say, you know, you cap your, it may not be TVL, it may be things like transaction limits for this week. Like you can have infinite TVL, but just because... Now, this is one of our realization is that the blockchain is not really protecting all the assets. It's only protecting the assets in transit, in flight, which are, you know, during this period of time. So you don't really need to protect the entire, but, you know, having some kind of like a, a transaction limit tied to the, uh, the the attributable security would be the kind of like a right mechanics. But I think whether it is going to be so easy that the the services will directly do it with Eigenlayer or there's going to be this market. I think it's a lot more details are there to fill in the blanks between a technical protocol and actually like the real markets. Uh, love to hear Zaki's thoughts on this. 
I, I think there's like a couple of things that I would I would put into this. Like, um, Christy had like asked the question. It's like, okay, we're doing eigen. Like, we do ethos. How much do we pay for ethos? Um, which I think is like essentially the question that Miles is 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 asking. And one of the suggestions is like, okay, well, we can. We haven't. It, one one un- interesting aspect of it is the sommelier chain currently does not know its TVL. Um, and most chains, like at the protocol level, don't know their TVL. Because um, uh, they don't actually ingest this information from anywhere. They're like, okay, we have tokens, but like, we don't know anything about like what, what is happening on the, on the system. It would be possible for sommelier to know its TVL. And it would be possible for sommelier to know how much security we bought from Eigenlayer because our all of you know our network does run some infrastructure for interacting with Ethereum uh, bidirectional bridge. We could suck up in that information, and you know that can become a, a priority. Now, I think there's I think probably the honest answer is early days Ethos Eigenlayer. The answer will just be fixed token commitments for like the first year because it's just like easiest to reason about. It's like. But, you know, I wonder, we've only experienced, I've only been seen, participated in, been in, in any way exposed to one large-scale death spiral of a staking token in my life, which is the collapse of Terra. Um, um, and, you know, most of Luna's TBL was Luna and uh, uh, UST, um, which were cu- coupled together in this death spiral. Um but there was $90 million of foreign assets on Terra as it was collapsing. And one wonders how all of that would have played out in a world where Terra was buying security from uh, an AVS. Uh, I suspect we will not, we will eventually have to find out. Wait, isn't the irony that they were sort of trying to do that in a primitive way? Isn't what they were doing with the, this is what they were doing with the Luna Foundation Guard, right? They were buying Bitcoin ostensibly for... For... for uh you know, um, regulating the collateral debt spiral of the stablecoin, but not for security. So mm. it's a funny anecdote I haven't shared with anybody. Two weeks before the episode happened, I was on a call with Do Kwan, basically running this <laughs> scenario by him, and said, hey, you know, you have this collateral debt spiral that you're trying to hedge by, like, getting BTC, but you also have a protocol that spiral, which is your platform becomes less rigid if, you know, things go down. And as the platform becomes less rigid, assets fly out. And if assets fly out, your platform becomes more more unusable. Maybe the token speculated down even more. Um, and of course, Doe didn't take it seriously. Uh, <laughs> but that is the, you know, uh, Zaki, this was actually with uh, David Shea. Uh, uh, we were actually trying to get people's Babylon, which was, which is essentially something like Eigenlayer, but using BTC as collateral. And that's that's always made sense to me, even for like established projects, like even like an Osmosis or something like that, just a safety buffer essentially um, for some part of your security budget um, of an uncorrelated and much more liquid asset. But yeah, I, I do think that the demand side makes like a million times more sense from a bootstrapping standpoint, but just wanted to add that as well. 
Yeah. I would also just add, uh, you know, another real world example is this is the same reason why uh, other countries hold foreign exchange reserves like treasuries or something like that, right? It's like they have their own currency, their own bonds, et cetera, but they hold U.S. treasuries because it's this kind of separate, um, this kind of separate thing, which is- in Treasuries are just staked U.S. dollars. Right. They are. A hundred percent. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they absolutely are. Um, all right, let's. Uh, I I want to move on to because I, I feel like we've been we've done a really good job of fleshing out the value proposition from the demand sort of AVS side. And maybe to just sum up, you know, restaking offers a very powerful tool to augment how you purchase security. Be that more granular pricing, exploring different models, um, etc. And I, I think there was a really important point, uh, Zach. You made a lot of really great points. Um, and I would, I would even recommend folks rewind and sort of listen to the play by play of uh, sort of the the sommelier part of this, because just very, that's really great insight to hear from your perspective, Zaki, about why it would have been great for Eigenlayer to exist when you were starting the protocol. But I think um, lowering the, just making it easier for people to sort of, uh, like from a capital efficiency standpoint, to pledge their their uh, existing sort of collateral somewhere else is like a massive point that we'll return to. But I want to move on to the Ethereum side of things and almost take a look at the supply side of the market, so to speak, and why restaking makes sense, A, from suppliers of ETH security, but B, why it also actually stands to benefit ETH, the protocol, and why there are AVSs that currently can't be built today on Ethereum that can be built uh, under a restaking paradigm. And one thing, um, maybe less of a, of a question, but more just something to to respond to that kind of a trend that I think you're starting to see play out and why I just think restaking is completely inevitable from the supply side of things is this is something Miles and I explored in the liquid staking season, but it feels like ETH staking yields are coming under pressure uh, from two sort of separate forces. Um, one of those forces is just that liquid staking is as successful as it has been. And so it's much easier, like a lot of the friction in staking has been decreased. So you get more people that are staking. So obviously, same amount of rewards spread over more stakers is less rewards per staker. And then the other thing that is maybe a little less obvious is sort of the execution layer rewards of MEV. So all of the apps on Ethereum, like we just did a whole season on DEXs, like they are single-mindedly focused on recapturing that MEV at the app layer. And actually, I think there's a lot of good evidence out there that the it's not actually good for ETH, Ethereum, the network to have a lot of that uh, MEV redistributed to proposers. There's a lot of timing game stuff that's kind of destabilizing consensus currently. So I think all of the incentives point to lower, fewer execution layer rewards, fewer um, consensus layer rewards which basically just means people are still going to want that extra yield. And so they're going to opt into restaking. Sriram, does that feel about accurate in terms of those those trends? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a, the demand basically for, I think why it's kind of a, a slam dunk. And I know Eigenlayer just uh, announced that they were expanding their caps. You can kind of see the early inflows as, as evidence of that fact. So there's going to be plenty of demand on the, the e-staking side of things to opt into earning additional yield. But I want to explore the ways that this is actually beneficial to Ethereum as a protocol and some of the like AVS structures that uh, couldn't otherwise exist um, today. So maybe, uh, Shriram, can you kind of give us a sense of, you know, if we were to have a bunch of Cosmos chains that were opting into being AVSs to secure, uh, to do various things on Ethereum, like why does, how does restaking sort of enable that and how is that good for Ethereum? Yeah, yeah. Um... You can think of like many different categories uh, or meta categories inside which these kinds of AVSs fall. 
And I would say like this has been like completely emergent rather than like something we planned and, you know, uh, even through this very short lifespan that we had for the project, it's been, you know, our thesis has been open innovation, which is once you enable builders to do cool things, they'll figure out all kinds of crazy things. This has been the Cosmos thesis. We're just taking that and like bringing it now into this fully composable ecosystem with aligned incentives because a lot of these builders and, and participants also hold ETH. So what categories are we seeing? Number one, roll-ups. So when you, when you talk about securing through you know, some aspect of Ethereum security, roll-ups are the natural thing that come into mind. And a lot of people ask me initially, oh, you know, is uh, restaking competing with roll-ups? And my answer is no, actually it completely augments all the features that you don't get simply by making proofs about execution correctness. There's lots of things that you can add on to the roll-up ecosystem using Angular. So that would be a first category. Things like sequencing. I want to do like fast sequencing for my um, roll-up. And when you're talking about sequencing, there may be no one-size-fits-all for all kinds of different projects. Some projects may want MEV of our sequencing, right? Like MEV auctions-based sequencing, threshold encryption-based sequencing. I think Zaki was alluding to some of these things being built in the Cosmos, like Skip, for example, has these general-purpose MEV modulation services, which go in different, we, we can customize in different ways. And these can be services that run on Eigenlayer that basically can be consumed by the, you know, rollups. And, you know, if you're a rollup, you're branding yourself on Ethereum security. And if you say, hey, I'm doing sequencing using this token and that using that token and so on, it just like sounds a little off to the brand, which is that, hey, I'm borrowing Ethereum security. Here is a slightly different way in which you're also borrowing Ethereum security. That's number one, sequencing. Data availability, we are building data availability, other participants are building data availability, some not using restaking, different ecosystems, but some using restaking. The third one is um, inside rollups, you can think of uh, bridging, right? Like rollups take, you know, if you're an optimistic rollup, take seven days to settle, but I want to move assets across even faster. So if I want to move like 100,000 each from one rollup to the other, if I got enough you know, economic security certifying that you can actually move this across. You can have very rigid, accurate systems, which, you know, which are built on bridges, which are as secure as Ethereum itself, because it is metering the amount of the volume and making sure you have enough collateral to actually like build highly rigid systems. So bridging is another category. And then another category that we see there is um, watchtowers. I want to you know it's an optimistic rollup. I want to make sure that there's a neutral network watching over like what set of activities are happening and then raising fault proofs or fault alerts. Like that's another category that you see there. And then uh, finality layers. I want to get to finality really fast and so that I can use it either for bridging or to give confirmation to users. But now it comes with an economic certificate behind it rather than just a promise from the sequencer. So that's all of these, I would say, are categories inside roll-up services. And one of the really cool things it does to Ether the asset is Ether the asset has accrued some kind of monetary premium as the native denomination of like NFTs and other assets inside the ecosystem. Now, now that value is denominated in ETH, the backing collateral to make all these like, you know, transfers being ETH is actually the right you know, match because if if you're backing using USD and like you're transacting ETH, 
you need to account for volatility mismatch when you're getting attributable security. So that actually promotes like the ETH ecosystem even more. So this is the roll-up services category. But the other categories are, for example, things like co-processors. Co-processors are like, you know, roll-ups, but without any state. Like you're sitting inside Ethereum when you want to run a computation, the computation comes back with an answer. You could use ZK to do it, but ZK is very expensive. If you can't run AI or whatever, like general purpose Linux or anything like that with ZK. So in a cost-efficient manner. So if you have enough economic collateral certifying to the correctness of these co-processing services, you can go ahead and take a crypto economic stand and keep moving on, right? You could imagine DeFi becoming much more intelligent when you're doing liquidity provision into a pool, like there's this AI algorithm or something that automatically adjusts prices. It adjusts your trading strategy instead of just like having X, Y equals K. But all of this is done in a rigid way that you guaranteed your money is safe. Like that's crypto economic co-process. Another category that I think we are seeing on Eigenlayer. Uh, Zaki mentions all the cryptographic primitives like multi-party computation, secret sharing, uh, trusted execution environments, um, fully homomorphic encryption. All these really interesting things also starting to get built in, in, uh, on, on Eigenlayer. These would be, you know, to take a kind of like a, Great Cosmos example, something like Penumbra would be like a really interesting service, which if, if it's on the Ethereum ecosystem can utilize and leverage a lot of the um, uh, liquidity in in this market. For for the listeners who don't know, like Penumbra is this shielded uh, uh, AMM where like if you're doing liquidity provision, your particular position is not leaked, only the aggregate position is leaked. So it's a really cool technology. Uh, other categories we are seeing are, you know, L1, layer one Ethereum MEV modulation. Like I want to do like some set of services on, uh, you know, uh, Ethereum L1 like MEV, for example, selling block uh, block auctions, but only partial block auctions. Or I want to do some event-driven actions. I say that when out if this liquidation happens, the block proposer has to include it, otherwise they'll get slashed. Uh, or the Justin Drake proposed this idea called based sequencing, which is this idea that if you are um, if you're in a rollup and you're using Ethereum uh, for ordering transactions, one of the things you you lose is pre-confirmations. You don't get an instant confirmation from the sequencer. But if your block proposal is restaked on Eigenlayer, it can make a promise saying that hey, I will include your transaction, otherwise I'll get slashed. So that's called, I call it, I think, based pre-confirmations. So there's all these different categories which just like emergent and we're excited to see like what, what more will come up there. So it's, it's super helpful for running us through the different categories. And if you haven't seen uh, the blog post, I think it's it's called uh, the ideas for building the next 15 unicorns, um, which does a great job at laying out, I guess, all the different verticals of AVSs or what you expect to see. And and maybe just to pull it back to to why Cosmos is sort of relevant, um, I think across a lot of the categories that you just listed, um, you know, these are services that have a specialized committee, right, of actors. Um, they come to consent, they do a job, uh, and they come to consensus on a result, and then they send that result back to it, an app or back to Ethereum in some way, right? And Cosmos chains are a toolkit for building, I would say, you know, uh, a 
some service that ha- performs logic right and at the execution layer um and then comes has a consensus engine built in that is you know basically connected to the application layer so they make actually a very good form for a lot of these um types of services and you know i think zaki we we i would still maybe like have a a split of categorization here between these cosmos avs's that provide services to dapps and wallets and applications versus maybe like um a form of you know pepsi or pseudo pepsi um by actually having proposer commitments um you know at at the l1 level um and you know zaki we were talking about this is maybe an equivalent of like opt-in vote extensions right um and so i guess what does it take uh what will it take um or i guess how do you see the sequencing of this playing out before you know we get to a critical mass where the majority of proposers are also opting into all these additional commitments. I guess. So I think a couple of lines are interesting to be drawn. One is the line between AVSs that require a consensus and AVSs that don't. So not all committee functionality requires a consensus. Um, And I think one thing that's like kind of a, you know, so like, we have this middleware that is Cosmos, that is the Cosmos stack for building uh, systems that require a consensus. Great, cool. Uh, and there's like a huge universe of, of applications that we talked about. There's also going to be a huge universe of applications where sort of this Pepsi kind of thing, DA, et cetera, can be done without a consensus. Less middleware exists there. And like, like builders will build um, and hopefully like standardized toolkits Um in the but i will also say it's like um you know i think as developers are learning it's it's probably it's always it's it actually you know the, the leap from oh we built a bunch of one-offs for doing this we built a bunch of one-off l1s we built a bunch of one-off things to we have like a good widely adopted standardized toolkit also the, the toolkit builders tend to be um the least appreciated types of uh workers in the crypto ecosystem but like huge value creators right um uh the like uh marco is the banger builders team who built the cosmos sdk have just done amazing work and like we're gonna need a lot of those teams um in the future so great so that's like one component of 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 the of the delta between these two systems i think the other component is um as we kind of go into um like more and more proposers opting into these various services um you could have i i do imagine a world where the like likely outcome is going to be i'm not very i'm very much a home state not a big homestaker minimalist i'm like i like i think homestaking is is has never really made a lot of economic sense to me um and so in a world of most validators, most block proposers being industrial scale, um, which is true today. And I would think likely to be true in the future. Most validators will also be taking reasonable decisions about uh, risk reward on, and especially where the risk is, is, you know, using pieces of software that are well, widely adopted and familiar people will be like, Hey, like why, why wouldn't we bring our customers the uh, additional incremental yield? think that makes sense i mean there are like cosmos chains in the wild today that basically uh, satisfy like what we're talking about right now just don't have restaking you know involved and uh, 
could argue Sommelier is is one of them, right, for managing positions. Um, uh, in in ETH DeFi, you could argue Dflow, right, which is a order flow auction chain uh, that wallets can tap into as one of them. Um, but yeah, maybe Sriram, how do you expect to see uh, over time? I, I guess maybe going back to that, like that's the the larger category here, which is actually having you know proposers opting into additional commitments, um, you know, potentially out of protocol, and then you know basically being held to those commitments back on Ethereum. Yeah, I think that is going to be a longer road because um, from to to make proposer commitments interesting and useful, we need a large fraction right. of Ethereum proposers. So if you have $1 billion of security, that's a lot of security for a lot of applications, but it's only, you know, 2.5% of right? So there is a kind of big number that is needed before we can actually start, you know, making interesting proposal commitments where there is like 30% of proposals, 50% of proposals have opted into these kinds of uh, statements. So that that's just that it is it is a longer horizon than like the short horizon. Um, in terms of what can be done in protocol versus what can be done out of protocol, which is the whole argument of Pepsi, I think there is making it totally permissionlessly programmable, which is kind of eigenlayer view. It's going to be very difficult to make it at the Ethereum L1 level. There are two fundamental reasons for it. One is metering the costs is not at all trivial. Imagine I create like an event-driven action where I say that if this event happens, then you should do this. Uh, and if you don't follow it, then you will get slashed. Now, you know, but monitoring this event may require like some amount of compute cycles. How do I know how much is needed? How do I know how, how much pricing, what is the gas pricing for all these things? Because I'm doing stuff in, not only when I'm actually doing the action, but all the time because that's what an event-driven action is. So all, that makes it very difficult and we need a lot of experimentation before we can converge on how, what those good things are. And number two, protecting against slashing errors is going to be very difficult at the Ethereum L1. Like somebody opts in and goes into like, everybody opts into like a Pepsi service and then that has a fault. That's just going to be catastrophic for Ethereum. Ethereum cannot say, hey, you know, you need this and that, like social committee or whatever other things that we can do as a kind of like auto protocol layer. So those are the reasons why I think building an auto protocol is more interesting. Um, in terms of, I think that you're right, that there is a line between things that are modulating Ethereum L1 actions and things that all the other things that I laid out don't actually modulate Ethereum L1 actions. And Zaki also made another like interesting dichotomy, which is things that require full consensus versus things that don't. Right? Imagine, for example, you can have a bridging service which says there's no fixed committee. You just have like some amount of eigenlayer restakers. Maybe, you know, for some uh, L2 to L2 bridging, they, they, they put in like 10 million. For some other L2 to L2 bridging, they put in like 50 million. You don't need to even have like a fixed size quorum. It can be just open participation. So you can build like very interesting systems which not only require fixed, which don't even require fixed quorum size. You know, like a proof verification service, I just have proofs streamed and everybody just verifies the proof and issues a signature saying that the proof has been verified. And that signature can be posted on Ethereum, you now like triggering a bunch of actions. So these are things that don't need uh, in protocol consensus. What we figured out is even data availability actually doesn't really need 
to have a consensus. Ethereum already like we uh, we build a data availability layer which is kind of like a purely adjacent to Ethereum. Like it doesn't have an existence on its own at all. It it you get the Ethereum blockchain which is providing consensus and ordering to the rollup is just a committee that is attesting to its correctness. Because from the point of view of Ethereum, any other system is also just a committee because it, Ethereum cannot do data sampling or any other kind of thing. It's just a contract that's checking that some group has signed off on something. And so we figured this doesn't need consensus. So we designed a system which doesn't have consensus and unblocks a bunch of bottlenecks. But in general, I think what we're seeing is more leverage and power to builders, tool builders, like the binary builders that Zaki pointed out, which is the predominant reason why we built Eigenlayer. More power to them because DAP builders, like if you're a smart contract builder, you could go, there are thousands of smart contract companies. You could go start your own like new smart contract application. But when you were building infrastructure services, there were very few places where you could bootstrap and be the goal of Angular is to change the, the economics of that. So you can go try out your new thing, see if it's useful. And what we envision is the emergence of new AVSs, which are there to serve other AVSs. It's kind of like what we're seeing already in Cosmos. There are zones whose job is to service other zones, like, you know, a liquid stick zone or like a, you know, a USDC issuance. So, you know, these kinds of interesting things. I think we are starting to see something similar where AVSs exist to service other AVSs. Right. And Ethos is one of those, right? Um, that that will be like the intermediary that, that you will be able to, you know, basically um, consume stake natively through mesh security, which is the, you know, easy to use Cosmos standard, but it's obviously coming from, from Eigenlayer. And I guess, is it fair to draw the lines as... Um, you know, AVSs that need consensus versus don't need consensus. And as well as AVSs that, you know, maybe um, today would benefit from uh, crypto economic security versus pure, you know, verification via proofs. Um, and maybe that line kind of shifts at some point as the cost of verification comes down. But today it's it's still pretty expensive, right, to rely fully on proof basis. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I think I just want to add one thing here. A lot of people have a model where they think that ZK is going to come and solve everything. It cannot solve everything. Several things have to be purely cryptoeconomic. Like, for example, how do you ensure that there's censorship resistance? Like, how do you slash? Or like, can you give a ZK proof that there's censorship resistance? No. Same thing with reorg. Like, let's say I'm drawing a chain. I can give you a proof that my chain is valid but I cannot give you a ZK proof that there is no other valid chain. Maybe I signed another chain and sent it to somebody else, right? So reorg is another thing that you cannot certify purely on a, like a ZK validity basis. So add to it that, you know, we are talking about systems like, you know, ChatGPT, which is costing like a couple of cents per each word that it is doing inference on. And, you know, ZK is 1 million X more expensive than simply executing something. And just the economics just like makes no sense in the short term. So then in the short term, there is the economic reason for using crypto economic security. In the long run, there's simply like a bunch of things that are not susceptible to, um, you know, validity proofs. They need necessarily some aspect of decentralization, some aspect of economic security. Mm. So I, I want to, um, you know, start to, 
to kind of land the plane here on what this might ultimately end up looking like for Cosmos and the Ethereum ecosystems moving forward. So it feels like, again, we're kind of on this collision course in between Cosmos and Ethereum. Um, restaking plays a massive role in that, where the thing that Ethereum originally optimized for, which was sort of this shared security layer, meshes really well with what Cosmos has been optimizing for, which is this sort of design framework for interoperable app chains. And there are advantages from both sides, from the Cosmos uh, sort of uh, EVS uh, solo chain side and from the Ethereum side. All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. We are gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. So think TradFi macro funds, crypto native funds, big allocators, and financial institutions. So banks, payment processors, etc. All in one spot. It's very rare to get the likes of Goldman, JP Morgan, Point72, whatever, all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing. We're diving into the themes that they care about. So we're talking about the intersection of macro and crypto, where we are in the cycle, real-world assets, so everything from stable coins to on-chain treasuries to tokenized assets. It's going to be a blast. But the other reason you really want to go is London, baby. Center of the world at one point. You got pub culture, you got fish and chips, great beer. It's going to be a blast. So because you're such great listeners to Bell Curve, there's a code BELL20 that's going to get you 20 20% off. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the homepage. You'll see all of our speakers and use Bell20 for 20% off. Ticket prices are going up soon. Make sure you go use that code. I will see you in sunny London town in March. So I guess what I'm wondering is what is what is what do these two ecosystems look like in five to 10 years? Because today, although there's plenty of overlap in between the ecosystems and product, they definitely do feel like distinct and separate communities. Um, do you think that ultimately ends up continuing out over the next five years? Are we moving towards a world where they sort of merge and where ETH is kind of the uh, shelling point shared security thing that we all rally around and restaking is used to um, secure Cosmos chains and then they kind of become one thing or like what we do, what, what are the different um, what are the different scenarios? And uh, if, if that that last scenario ends up playing out, you know, what does this mean for uh, Adam, the asset, and the, the hub? So I have a relatively strong set of views here, which is that the thing we're discussing doesn't just affect ETH and Adam, but basically all large-cap cryptocurrencies. Um, that the future of all large-cap cryptocurrencies is they all start to look more and more like each other. Um, that they have a staking component, that people stake for yield, that people... Um, that there is a restaking piece, um, and um, you're going, and so like I think ETH, Cardano, Near, Solana, Atom, Ia, all of these things end up sort of converging in this direction. And so, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things. I I do think like who your security provider is is part of your franchise, um, and you know, so McDonald's and Burger King are not that dissimilar from each other. They both sell burgers. But they are distinct things. Some people prefer one. Some people prefer another. You put a, like, franchisees decide putting a burger, will decide to buy a Burger King franchise. Or, like, you could go further, like, the difference between a Shake Shack, a McDonald's, and a Burger King. Um, these things all sell burgers. They're all reasonably good. Um, but they all, they, they cater to different markets. And, like, the franchise is very different. Or you can even talk about this as, like, if you want to really go down to it, it's, like, sports teams. Like, 
you know, the the uh, Lakers and the Knicks are not that dissimilar from each other. They're just tall men running around, uh, throwing around the ball. Um, but the franchises are really powerful. Um, and so I do think that, like, sort of my estimation for the next 10 years is going to be that, like, you have that, like, more and more things in common between large cap cryptocurrencies, ossification of who is in the like large cap set, um, like what the top 50, what the top 100 look like. Um, and then like, you're still going to have distinct communities and we're basically run, we're, we're speed running through this world where with a version of, you know, interchain security, eigenlayer, all of the stuff uh, coming, coming, coming out now it's sort of setting up the next sort of what the future of cryptocurrency looks. Sorry, you respond, Shira. Yeah, uh, if you would let me take take it like one level more meta, I don't want to take one asset versus another asset. I, I just want to kind of like bring some context on what I'm excited about for the next 10 years. It, it If you look like, you look at what we're doing, you know, when, if, for example, inside our team, like our goal is to be the coordination engine for open innovation. So that's the goal. So when, when you think about this, essentially, you know, technology has accelerated free markets quite a bit, right? So you, you, you see like, you know, new technologies come in like AI, for example, people talk about things like AI alignment. And I think the proximal view of what is AI alignment is, AI is just going to accelerate markets. Like whatever is well incentivized by the market, AI is going to accelerate them more. Whatever is like disaligned with human interest in the market is just also going to get accelerated at the same in the same way. So we have this layer of like markets or innovation, and then there is an underlying layer of coordination, which is usually like you know in big country, let's say a constitutional democracy, for example, and. We've had technology massively accelerate the free market innovation layer. Technology has barely touched the coordination layer. And our fundamental view is we are building new mechanisms for coordination, which are self-enforcing, self-verifiable, rather than coordinated via like some committee. So that's that's the vision. And in, in this, actually, like, we've made, like, as a community, as a crypto community, a massive amount of progress in the last, you know, 10 years, right? So people, you know, I was doing the calculation on Ethereum's data bandwidth. It was, like, you know, tens of kilobytes per second. And I was first disappointed. Then I thought about it, and I'm like, no, actually, that's not that bad. You know, we were, as society, barely able to coordinate on a couple of bits of information every five years whether this guy is the president or that lady is the president. Like, that's the level at which we were able to coordinate. From that, we're massively enhancing coordination bandwidth. And all these different approaches, people trying this on Ethereum, on Atom, on you know, Celestio, on some other thing, is just accelerating us to build much better coordination systems for open innovation. So I'm actually quite excited about all of these things. Same. I think that's. Um, I, I totally agree um, that uh, it's. It's. It, it all feels very positive. Some and Zaki, I thought that was a really interesting sort of vision for the large cap assets converging on each other, and you know, uh, ultimately restaking not being something that's uh, specifically the property of Ethereum, 
but maybe other L1 assets get uh, rehab allocated for security as well. And that actually sort of aligns with the, this this idea of these layer one assets as commodities um, that are sort of based around block space. There's a certain, yeah, you can see that making sense ultimately. Um, and hopefully it's a, it's a big positive sum outlock or Jesus, positive sum uh, outcome uh, as we can see by kind of this example of um, restaking, improving both Cosmos and Ethereum. So um, Zaki and Shriam, this feels like a pretty good place to, to leave it. Guys, uh, folks will, will absolutely know you've been on Bell Curve in the past um, and we just talked about quite a bit about what the two of you are working on. But if people want to find out more info about either Smelier or Eigenlayer, what's the best way to do it? At Psalm Finance on Twitter. For us, the best way also be Twitter at Eigenlayer. Uh, there is a good bit of discussion on our forums. We have new blog posts coming up, but all of them are linked by our Twitter. Awesome. And as always, Miles, my fearless co-host. Thanks for doing this with me, buddy. This was a real, this was really fun, guys. Um, yeah, we'll have to do it again soon.